Hey, I want to welcome the Fredericksburg campus. And just to let you know that, I, I know, sorry, sorry, Stafford, but Fredericksburg really does have the best-looking pastor on staff in Caleb. All right, so let's give it up for Caleb. All right, yeah, all right. Uh, for those of you that are watching us online, I'm so excited that you're here. But since I am in the Stafford campus right now, I want to welcome each of you. And I just want you to know how excited I am that you are here. I will tell you in the first service that that last song that we, we, we sang, it just totally, totally wrecked me. It just totally wrecked me. The idea of that I can't go back to the start and I don't know what the future holds. And so asking God to come and meet in the middle It's going to wreck me again. And I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one that is begging God right now to meet me in the middle. Father God, I come to you this morning. And I thank you that as we just sang that not for a moment were any of us ever forsaken. That we may have thought we were, we may have felt that we were. The truth is you have never forsaken us. Your word tells us that you are with us to the very end of the age. And so God, my prayer for John, but also my prayer for everybody that can hear my voice is that you would meet us here in the middle today where we are. In the middle of our hurts, in the middle of our messes, in the middle of our joys, in the middle of our fears, in the middle of all that is good. God, would you make your presence very real in our lives? We need you, God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. All right, I'm really going to try to keep all my stuff in one sock today. Uh, I, I, well, I, I know why I'm an emotional wreck, but I'm not letting you all know, okay? So um, I want to start off with a, a story. I've been told that you all like my stories, and so I'm going to tell a story, okay? Uh, you probably won't remember the rest of the lesson, but you will remember the story, okay? Um, it was about 18 months ago, a little over 18 months ago, we were hosting, my wife and I were hosting, uh, of course, our, our daughter and son-in-law, and most importantly, uh, Bishop, which is our four-year-old, now five-year-old grandson. Now, I will tell you this. I love me some Bishop, but that kid does not have an off switch. He goes and he goes and he goes and he goes, and God love it. Gum Gum can stay up with him. I do not. Um, but he was playing on the floor. He was doing something, probably cars or chemistry or making a bomb or something. I don't know. But um, he goes, Papa, come on. And so I'm like, all right, I'll get down on the floor with him because I realize I'm a very large, intimidating person, especially to little kids, all right? And I'm scary. I understand that, okay? And so I got to get down on his level. Now, I will tell you that as I get older, I swear to you the ground is getting farther away from me, <laughs> all right? Yeah. 
And I know I'm not the only one, okay? So getting down, it was more of a controlled crash, but I was able to get down there. And then he goes, hey, Papa, crisscross applesauce. And I'm like, yeah, Papa doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah, Papa don't do that. Papa's hips don't do that anymore. And then we got done playing, and I don't know whose attention span was shorter, his or mine, but all of a sudden we were done, and so it was time to get up. And I'm like, okay. So I go to get up, and my entire body goes, uh-uh, we ain't playing that game. I'm like, what the heck? And so with, come on now, guys, you know this. Oh, oh, ah, good night. Oh. I got up, and no kidding, the thought that went through my mind at that moment was like, wow, that was a lot harder than what it should have been. And then I kind of wrote it off. Other than, wow, this getting old is really starting to stink. Oh, well, no big deal. And then the next morning, I'm thinking, it shouldn't have been that hard. I'm 56 years old, not 126. I'm 56 years old. Good night, John. You used to be an athlete. There's no reason why you cannot get down to the floor. Well, getting down is not a problem, okay? There's no reason why I can't get up. And so, you ready? Then there's this other incredible epiphany that happens that down in my basement, I've spent thousands of dollars on exercise equipment. I have, I mean, a really nice treadmill. And I'll be honest with you, because of my wife, that treadmill owes us nothing. I bet she, she's put 100,000 miles on it, okay? But I'm like, you know, I could probably use that thing. We've got weights. We've got an exercise bike. I'm not getting on a bike. I'm sorry. It's just not comfortable. I'm not riding a bike ever again, okay? We've got weights. We've got mats. We've got those stupid exercise balls that are apparently some type of contraption in which to break a hip on. But we've got those. We've got, we've got bands. Whatever you need, we've got. But I won't use it until this one time. I'm like, you know what? I can do this. And so I went downstairs, and I said, you know what? I'm going to start making some changes. And so I get on the treadmill. I will tell you this. It was pathetic. But I started. And I started just by walking. And then I got really adventuresome, and I put that little random program in there, so all of a sudden there were like hills and valleys. I'm like, whoa, I'm really getting in shape now, okay? And then, like a week later, I said, oh, this is really going to be crazy. I wonder how many push-ups I can do. I will tell you, that was pathetic. But I started doing them. Two sets of five. Boom, I was ripped. Yeah. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? Maybe I could stretch a little bit. And so I'm like, I'm going to stretch these hamstrings out. Ready? And go. <laughs> oh. But I started. And what started with a little thing about trying to play with my grandson on the floor, okay, a little thing about me trying to get up off the floor has been an 18-month ordeal to where this past, in fact, May, I ran my very first road race. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. 
again, I need for you to think of a large lumbering animal, okay? <laughs> but I did run it. And I had, I had a couple that was here from the church that just happened to be there with us. There was actually a number of us that, that kind of ran this, but they were in front of me and they were my pacers. And my goal was just to stay, keep them at least within sight, okay? And I just stayed up with them. But I did it. And I ran it. And I tell you what, there is no part of running that I enjoy. There is no part of running that I enjoy, other than the shoes. I do love buying running shoes, okay? But just because I own running shoes does not make me a runner, though my wife says it does, and I'm like, no, it doesn't, all right? But I just kept going. because I wanted something to be different. Now, let me ask you this. How many of us in our walk with Christ are like me, taking one step in front of the other? Paul reminds us as we continue this series, the king in residence, that much of our walk truly is a race where we are being asked to simply keep going. He gives an analogy. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to spend most of our time here. Specifically, we're going to be in uh, really 12 through 14, okay? So just a couple of passages here. We're going to jump around a little bit, all right? But in this section here, Paul is giving an analogy of a race, of running a race. And he starts this off and he goes, not that I've already obtained all of this, this ongoing race, he has not crossed the finish line yet. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. I have not arrived at my goal yet. Though I tell you, when I ran that race, you see the finish line and it's like a scene from a movie. As you get closer, it gets farther away. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, is that thing moved? Yeah. No. All right. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. What is the it? I will tell you this, that the it was Paul's very motivation it was his purpose. It was his goal in life. It was his race. It's what kept him moving forward in every one of his trials, in his persecutions, in his beatings, in every time that he was flogged, in his imprisonments. This it that he wanted, it drove him so much that he was willing to go through incredible suffering to not only pursue it, but to be in it. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, Paul is writing to uh, a church that is trying to put all their faith and hope and trust in the flesh and the things that they were able to do and, and the boasting and saying, look what I can do. And Paul is making a counter argument that he goes, okay, if you want to go there, I'll tell you all the things that I've done in the pursuit of of Jesus, And I'll tell you all the suffering that I've gone through the pursuit of Jesus. I will tell you what my life has been like in looking for it. He writes, I have worked much harder than any of you. 
I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I want you guys to think about that. Five times. Five times. 40 lashes minus one. That means 195 times somebody took a whip onto his body. That means that on his body, he bore the scars, 195 scars. But that did not deter him from what he was pursuing. He kept going. I am a little wallflower when I'm uncomfortable. 195 times, but it doesn't stop there. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I don't even like it when my air conditioning goes out. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone, often gone without sleep. No sleep for John. I am a grumpy bear. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That is an anxiety. Daily, there's a sense of anxiety for you, for others. But I will continue to pursue it. And who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Have you ever felt weak? Do you feel weak right now? I mean, just weak in your soul. Who was led into sin? And I do not burn, inwardly burn. See, this is the very real struggle in Paul's life. We want to put Paul on this pedestal, and there's, to some extent, we can because he truly was just like us. He was just a man. He was just flesh and blood. But his pursuit of it was everything. Is there anything in your life that would get you to move and to keep moving and to keep pressing forward in the worst of situations, in the best of situations, that would keep you Moving forward like this. And Paul clearly defines what it is. Chapter 3, verse 10. He goes, this is the it. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. That is what kept him moving forward in everything that was so hard. It's what kept him going in the good, in the bad. 
And when somebody was taking a whip to him, I don't know if he could see Christ in that, but he endured it. See, when the king is in residence in our lives, when the king is in residence in our lives, when that banner, that standard is placed in our heart and it flies above, even in the midst of the worst, can there still be hope there? Paul says yes. How can I find joy when it feels overwhelming? How can I find joy when everything I seem to touch breaks? I just want it to be easy for a moment. But it never seems that way. And we lose focus. But Paul reminds the Philippians and he reminds us, know Jesus. Now, there's one thing to know about Jesus. It's another thing to know Jesus. Now, how many, anybody here dating somebody just kind of recently? Anybody? Oh, I saw a hand just go, oh, nope. Is there no one dating? Fredericksburg, is there anybody dating anybody? Maybe you've been going out a couple months or something like that. Anybody online? Okay, we're going to have to go back into our historical archives of our minds here, okay? Remember when you first started dating that loved one? Okay? <laughs> Man, she is cute. <laughs> he's so cute. He's so kind. Oh, he's really funny. Don't you want to know the person See, if I want to enter into a meaningful relationship with somebody, I want to know them. I don't just want to know about them. I want to know them. I want to know what makes you laugh. I want to know what makes you cry. I want to know what motivates you. I want to know what really, really makes you sad. I want to know what breaks your heart. I want to know what movies you like. I want to know what your favorite food is. I want to know about that little scar right there. Tell me about that little scar you got there. How did that happen? I want to look into your eyes so intently that it's almost as if I can see inside of you. I want to know you. And that's what Paul is saying. I want to know every part of Jesus. He is so in love and so motivated and so fixated and so enamored with Jesus that he's willing to endure incredible things to continue to know him because he knows that there is good because he knows that there is love he knows that there is relationship now we can also enter into a superficial relationship 
I can know about you, but I really don't want to know you. I can just get to know you because I want to find out what you can give to me. I want to be a consumer of you. I don't really want to enter into a relationship with you because if I enter into a relationship with you, then that means that I have to be transparent, that I need to let you know a little bit about me. Instead, I'm just going to take what I can take. I'm going to get what I can get. And that is so far away from what Paul is saying. It is so far away from that. And understand this, with every relationship, we have an option. We can enter into a meaningful relationship or we can make it superficial. Now, I'll tell you, a lot of times, the reason why we stay at the surface level in our relationships, even with Jesus, but especially with one another, we stay in the surface levels because if you really knew me, you wouldn't want anything from me. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to keep you at arm's length. And I am not going to allow you to get to know me. And we do that even with Jesus. Jesus, I like you. Done some pretty cool stuff. I'll go through all the motions. But I really can't enter into a meaningful relationship with you because if you really knew me, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. I need to let you know something right now. If that is you, guess what? He already knows. Yeah, you can do that. You can give it, yep. We just sang about this. I can't go back to the beginning. I have no idea what the future holds. Meet me in the middle. And I love this. And I never once was forsaken. We were never once forsaken. Jesus, you know I'm a train wreck. You know I'm an emotional nosebleed. You know my hurts. You know my fears of opening up to somebody. You know what I'm capable of. Good night, I'm not even sure what all I'm capable of. But you know me and you still say, I want relationship with you. So what is preventing you, if you've got a God, if you've got Jesus that says, I want to be in meaningful relationship with you, what is preventing you from doing that? What if he doesn't like what he sees? What if she doesn't like what she sees? What if I'm just not enough? You know what you'll always hear from Jesus? always, you're right, you're not enough, but I love you, I love you, and together we are more than enough. Paul continues on after he says, I want to know Jesus. And he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And just think about that for a moment. The power of the resurrection. The resurrection is nothing more than 
than God taking something that is dead and bringing it back to life. I want to know what that's like. And this is Paul who understood when his sin was clearly placed before him on the road to Damascus, that he, he is the one that was persecuting the church, that he was looking to kill Christians. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And what he experienced in that moment is he experienced resurrection power in Jesus. Jesus took a man that was dead. He was dead emotionally. He was dead spiritually. And he totally revamped him, and he breathed life into him. And then Paul goes on, and he says, listen, not only do I, and not only have I experienced the resurrection and power of Jesus, but I want to participate in his sufferings. What? I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What? I have always struggled with this. The original NIV says to participate in the fellowship of his suffering. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is fun. There's food involved with that, okay? I don't understand that. I don't like suffering. I told you, I don't like it when my air conditioning goes out. And Paul is saying, I want to participate in this suffering. James, the brother of Jesus, who mocked his old, uh, young, uh, uh, older brother, writes this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. How ironic that James and Paul use the same word in regards to suffering, joy. That doesn't equate in my mind. And so when Paul says, I want to participate in this suffering, the only thing that I can think of here, and when I read James, is listen, there is something in the suffering that changes us. And what we want to do in the suffering is we constantly want to keep on asking the question, why, why, why? Why me? Why not you? I'll tell you this, though there, the, it's the wrong question to be asking. It is what? God, what are you doing in the midst of my suffering? And I will tell you this, I believe that Paul, what he was doing with each one of those lashes, with each one of those shipwrecks, with each one of those imprisonments, with each one of the rocks that were thrown at him. And every time somebody took a rod and took a swing at him, there was just a little bit of Paul that disappeared and more Jesus came. A little bit of Paul left and more Jesus came. With every little blow that, that this world can give us, there's a little bit of you and there's a little bit of me that needs to die so that Jesus can be more in us. 
And I will tell you this, it's easy for me to stand up here and say these words. It's something totally different when life is beating you. And I understand that and I appreciate that, but with each one of those, there's a little bit more of John that needs to die so that Jesus can increase. There's a little bit of you that needs to die so that Jesus may increase. And as we do that, as we see that God is about changing and resurrecting, there's joy in the end. There's joy in the end. Oh God, place your standard in my heart. Raise the flag if for no other reason that I know that you are in residence with me. Pastor Jason, in one of his sermons, he made the comment, he was talking about Matthew, the end of Matthew. He was saying how Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, and he's always with us to the very end of the age. And the punchline that Jason gave us is there are times where we will feel lonely. We will be lonely. This is a promise. But we are never alone. In the midst of in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death and whatever that may look like for you, you are not alone. David reminds us that it is at that moment that God's, Jesus' staff is there with us to not only draw us close, but to beat off the wolves that want to tear the flesh from our bodies. I believe that Paul, above all things, at some point in his life, by the time he wrote this, he understood or was beginning to grasp the ramifications that it was the suffering of Jesus, that it was the precursor to his glory. And let me ask you this. Could the suffering that we are going through right now simply be a precursor to the glory that is in Christ Jesus that we can experience in this life and will experience in the life to come? Will we view the suffering? Will we dare hope that in the suffering that this is just the work that needs to happen so that more of Jesus can live in me and through me. Paul goes on 
Verse 13 and 14, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. That it, of course, is no more than the knowledge, really knowing Jesus, really being in a, in a lasting, meaningful relationship with Jesus, an eternal relationship with Jesus. I have not yet taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what's behind me. I love this. The starting line was back here. And I gooned up the race a lot. We've all gooned up the race a lot. He says, I am forgetting what's behind and I am straining towards what, what's ahead. And I'm pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I will tell you this, that road race that I, that I ran, I know, it's pathetic. There's some of you that go out and run 10 miles to warm up. Good night. Yeah. It was a 5K race. It's pathetic. But I ran it. And for me, that was a triumph. And I cannot tell you how much this is a metaphor for my life. And I think it's a metaphor for each one of our lives. In this race, there's a part where I didn't realize this, but we have a small mountain range down by Brook Point High School. If you've ever been to Brook Point High School, down by their baseball and softball field, there is this like 80-degree decline, okay, that goes down to the baseball fields. Well, whenever there's a decline, that means that there's got to be an incline, right? Well, the way we ran this, we had to run this stupid mountain. Some of you say, oh, it was just a hill. No, it was a mountain. It was Mount Kilimanjaro in my mind, okay? All right? And I'm going along, and I'm like, oh, no, here it comes. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Okay. And so I started running. About halfway through, I could no longer feel the wind in my face. And I'm running along this, there's this yellow line. And I was in slow traffic in the left-hand lane, sorry. All right. But I just focused on that, that line. I just got to put one foot in front of the other. I just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I just got to put one foot in front of the other. Boy, I can really feel my legs. Put one foot in front of the other. My lungs are going to explode. I can just put one foot in front of the other. Oh, my heart. They're going to call 911. Put one foot in front of the other. And then there was flat ground. Now, I didn't stop and look backwards and go, hoo-hoo. Because apparently there were still 500 more miles I had to run. <laughs> so I just kept moving. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying for us, again, your race isn't over yet. It's okay. There'll be times when we will feel the wind in our face as we're running this thing called life. And then there will be other times where it's everything we can do just to keep one foot in front of the other. And just as the Bakewells 
who ran about 100 yards in front of me were my pacer. Jesus sometimes is running in front of me and he's just encouraging me going, come on, keep following, keep going. But sometimes in the hills, in the mountains, in the really hard times, Jesus has slown down to our pace. And maybe he's even got his hand underneath our arm and he's going, come on, I got you. And maybe there's even times when he's just behind us and he's going, you got this. More importantly, we got this. Paul starts this entire passage off, and we'll land the plane here. Verse 1 of chapter 3. There's no coincidence that he starts it off with this. He says, furthermore, my brothers and sisters. Now, all the things that he has said in chapters 1 and 2 about joy. He goes on. I'm not done yet. There's still more, he says. Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now, in my text, there's an exclamation mark with that. In the Greek, it is actually a, an imperative, which means it's a command. Rejoice in the Lord, exclamation mark. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. I will tell you this, that I think in the midst of all of our struggles, in the midst of all of our trials, that this is a foundational statement for us. That God is saying in the, through Paul that this is something that we can, we can use to plant the standard. That it is firm, that it can be trusted And Paul tells us that a safeguard, and you know that word that's used to define safeguard, it means something that prevents us from falling or failing. A safeguard is there to keep us moving forward. And that safeguard that Paul says is the act of rejoicing in the Lord. Even in the suffering, even in the trials, because God is about something and Jesus is about something and he is changing you and he's changing me and he's making us better and there's less and less of me and more and more of him and that's what it needs to be because when I'm in Jesus, if I could ever, if I could ever get to that finish line in this life and to be like a Paul or more importantly to be filled completely with Jesus, Everything that this world has to offer, as Paul says, it's garbage. If you look at what that word means, if I gain everything but do not have love and do not have Jesus, it is nothing. He says it is garbage. And it is a term, you ready for this? We translate as garbage. It means dog poop. You know what you do with dog poop? Everything else is you're like, ah. You scrape it off your foot and you keep moving. Sometimes you just throw the shoe away. But that's what he's saying. That's what it is. I want to know Christ. I want the flag planted. I want the king in residence in my heart. And when the king is in residence, world, what can you do to me? What can you do to me? 
I will run the race and we will run the race. And even when I don't feel like running the race, there's a point when all of a sudden, when the last step is taken, and this happens every time I run, that last step is taken. I hated to run, but man, I'm so glad I did it. Don't lose heart in the struggles because you're becoming less and Jesus is becoming more and your life is being transformed from the inside out. Oh God, we come to you and we thank you so much for who you are and I cannot believe that you're mindful of us. Who are, you? Who are we? Who am I that you would love us so much? God, there's so many hills and it's so hard sometimes. I want to feel the wind in my face again, God. I want us to feel the wind in our face again. But until that time, I know that you're here. God, you are such a good God. Oh, you're a good God. Father, fill us with your spirit. Fill us when we don't know what we need. God, I know I'm not the only one today. There's somebody here whose heart is broken. I know there's somebody here that is hearing my words. God, they need you. If they can't cry out to you in their own voice, may it be your spirit that speaks through them. They will beg you to be with them. And so today, this morning, as we're going to sing this last song, oh God, would you give each of us strength that we will cry out to you and allow you to continue to take off all of the things that we've put our hope and our faith and our trust in that has nothing to do with you. And may we have eyes to see that it's garbage. Fill us, Lord. Oh, God, we need you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know this, that Jesus does, and he wants a real relationship with you. And you've got an option. You can accept that relationship, or you can decline it. Let me ask you this, if you choose to decline it, how's your way been going for you? And for those of us that know Jesus, but we haven't really gotten to know him or for whatever reason, our life has become so stinking hard that we're afraid to come before him because we think that we've been forgotten about. No, this right here today is an altar. <laughs> An altar is where we go and we pour out this and give of ourselves and we put it on the fire and allow it to be consumed. May this be your altar today where you can come 
and you can reignite the flame of you and Jesus. What is it that you need to get rid of? What of it is preventing you from entering into relationship with Jesus? What has driven you away from Jesus? I guarantee you it's not Jesus. It's our expectations or the thoughts of what we thought were supposed to happen. Today, if you need something today, if it's Jesus or if it's just a purge, our prayer team is up here. I'll be up here. We're going to sing here in just a second. Come, lay it on the altar. Lay it on the altar. Because you either willingly lay it or it'll be pried from your hands. Or it will be all-consuming to you. Make a choice.